0: jacob Albrocht, tommy kaster this is sports daily on wichita's number one sports radio 97.5 and 1240 kfh God, touchdown kansas city hey, chiefs kingdom we have you covered joining sports daily live executive producer of the chiefs radio network dan israel
1: And we welcome in, Dan Israel, our weekly visit. And, Dan, it all comes down to this. In a Super Bowl featuring the two best teams in football this year, that the numbers are so similar it's scary, but their paths to getting to those numbers are very different. Welcome in from Arizona. Uh, I I would imagine that the climate is treating
0: you well. (laughs) I would tell you the temperature and describe the scene, but it will just make you jealous.
1: Okay, well, we appreciate that. Let's not do that. Then let's (laughs) talk about this game, which I don't know about you, Dan. It is just so unpredictable because, yes, these teams have both been the best all year, but, man, their paths to get there have been different, and they haven't played a lot of the same people, and they're both dealing with some injuries, and I have no idea how to look at this because I could see it going about a thousand different ways.
0: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about the Super Bowl is it pits the two conferences together, and the two conferences, even though we have interplay with the conferences, we only play four games out of the out of the 17 games that we play, the 18-week schedule, you only play typically four of those in an opposing conference, so you really don't know how you stack up against that conference. Eagles have dominated the NFC most of the year, but... We really don't know how that relates to the AFC. We certainly know the Chiefs have been battle-tested, man. You look at the the Eagles' schedule, it doesn't look terribly daunting compared to the Chiefs' schedule, which was the number one in the National Football League. Uh, You would think the Chiefs are going to be able to handle the Eagles, but again, you just never know. And I think that's one of the reasons that the the Super Bowl sometimes can be a disappointment is because the the two conferences – Aren't completely aligned. And, and so sometimes those championship games become the biggest or the uh, best football. But certainly the spectacle of the Super Bowl, there's nothing like it.
2: So, Dan, I want to ask you uh, something about what we talked, uh, Jacob and I talked about last hour uh, about this Super Bowl and, and about how this team is built and made up and about how uh, I think it's what, 24 out of the 53 guys on the roster. We're not on the team last year, and 10 of them are rookies. And just the, the work that Brett Veach has done in building this team and still getting them back to a Super Bowl. So, uh, of course, you've got a ton of new faces that are there in Arizona right now soaking in uh, the, 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 the glow of their first Super Bowl. But talk a little bit about your overall uh, thoughts on the way that this team has been built and getting them ready to play in a Super Bowl on Sunday
0: yeah as far as the way they've been built I don't think we're giving Brett Veach enough credit I mean he has really done something that is so unique when you're acquiring starting caliber players out of the seventh round in the draft I mean that's got to make every talent scout in the National Football League in college football maybe even high school jealous it's just he's done such an amazing job and And I think it's really worth noting that he is not bringing in just starting caliber talent. He's bringing in guys that fit this team. It really is a recipe and it it matters who you put in the locker room. And, and to see these guys coming into the locker room, they're the right kind of character, the right makeup mentally. They've learned very quickly. It's almost unfair to call them rookies now. Right. But they they've just done so well and i i just don't think we're giving brett veach enough credit maybe we are maybe we mention his name but i think when you go into really what his job is his whole department's just done an outstanding job As to getting them ready for the super bowl i think that's one of the beauties that we have one of the assets we have over the philadelphia eagles there are a lot of guys who have been to this game who have been through a win who have been through a loss they know what it's like to be here and and it's incumbent on those guys to take care of teaching the the, the guys who haven't what they're in for. I, I, Coach Reed always talks about, does everybody know what we're doing next? And I think that's really the way he, uh, he treats this from the top down. We're not talking about Sunday afternoon yet. We're talking about what happens today. Okay. We have a walkthrough today. You've got media today during the media. This is what you're going to be faced with. This is what you need to know. And, and so I think he just Coach Reed does such a good job of getting the players always prepared for anything, whether it's snow, whether it's playing an opponent that we don't normally see, or the Super Bowl. And, and I think he'll do the same this time. It was kind of interesting last night at opening night, as the players came out on stage, they all had their cell phones. And they were taping. I think that just goes to show how intense and immense this game is that the players themselves are are videotaping instead of just fans videotaping them. Dan, when we
1: look at this, we we love the storylines. We love everything about it. One of the storylines we talked about is is just Patrick Mahomes, and he was asked about chasing Brady. And it just sort of gets me curious. All the trips to the AFC championships now, but – only one Super Bowl. And it feels to me like there is a lot more pressure on the Chiefs in this game than there is the Eagles because we may be entering that territory that if the Chiefs don't get it done in this game, we'll, you'll start to hear whispers of, yeah, but they can't get it done in the big game. And that's probably Tom Brady's fault. But we're And it's a credit to how often they're getting there. But do you feel that pressure this time around?
0: You know, I don't really see that. To be honest with you, I don't really see that on Mahomes. Uh, I see a little bit of that pressure from Kelsey's standpoint because I, I think he knows the opportunities are so difficult to come by and, and how many more will he have in his career at age 34 or 33, however old he is. From Mahomes' standpoint, I, Mahomes always just strikes me as, you know, the guy he wants to win the next game which is very Brady-like, to be honest. Uh, It's just about the next game. And I think when you look at their legacies, to your point, it is a big deal. There is a huge deal between one Super Bowl and two. I mean, that's just the reality. There are very few teams that have multiple Super Super Bowls. When you talk about teams, not franchises, but teams, you know, the, the Chiefs of the 60s, they dominated the 60s what, four AFC, uh, four championship games, and they were just so intense in the 60s, yet they only played in two Super Bowls and only won one. So uh, very difficult, very uh, important. Does it, you know, w- w- would people start to put them in the category, maybe of the Buffalo Bills from the 90s? I-, I don't know the answer to that completely. I guess some of that would depend on how they play. You know, is it a competitive game, or did the Eagles just blow the Chiefs out, which I kind of think would be – it would surprise me if the Eagles blew us out. But uh, I, I do think it's important, and, it, and I think in an irony, if you look at Tyreek Hill's career, great wide receiver, nobody would question that he's, that he's one of the best receivers in the league. But is he a first-ballot Hall of Famer? I don't think he is, not with one Super Bowl. Had he stayed and acquired a second one, different story.
2: You know, one of the major storylines, Dan, uh, of course, everybody talking about Andy Reid facing his former team in in the Super Bowl. But I think another storyline that's similar to that, but maybe not getting quite as much coverage. And I didn't even know this until a couple of weeks ago. I didn't even realize Nick Sirianni was on the chief staff uh, back in the Todd Haley and Romeo Cornell days. And, you know, Nick Sirianni strikes me as kind of the guy that is a chip-on-his-shoulder kind of guy and, uh, of course, was asked about Andy Reid not retaining him when Reid came to Kansas City. Uh, and so, of course, we can talk all day long about Andy Reid facing his former team, but what do you think about the storyline of Nick Sirianni facing his?
0: Yeah, I think it is I think it is a little bit of a, a fuel for, for Nick. I would also tell you that, you know, to the story is kind of being characterized that Nick was fired by Reed, which is technically true. But I think more appropriately, Andy brought a bunch of people from Philadelphia to Kansas City. Some of the people he brought from Philadelphia to Kansas City already had that job. So I think it was really more about bringing in his people than it was about his lack of confidence in Nick. However, if you're Nick Sirianni, I don't see how it couldn't, You couldn't feel you a little bit. You know, I think even for Coach Reed, you know, he loves the Eagles organization. He loves the people. He loves the owners. He knew it was time to leave. There wasn't a lot of animosity there. But you can't tell me deep down inside, as competitive as as these guys are, that they don't want to beat their former teams. You know, I I just think that's part of it. And and certainly, Nick, I'm sure, wanted to stay here. So I think for him it's probably more intense than for Coach Reed. But, uh, uh, you know, I – I just can't believe that there's not a little of that going both directions.
1: Well, and Dan, too, like it reminds me of the Super Bowl win in Miami. You know, those players wanted it so badly for Andy Reid at that point to finally get over that hump. So even if Andy Reid doesn't want to beat Philadelphia and he can, you know, put that away and file it away, man, I think his players are going to want to help him beat Philadelphia. Whether he's talking about it or not, I
0: would be willing to bet that they are, don't you think? Yeah, I think you're right, actually. And and I think those little things can be a difference maker. I think the storyline with the Kelsey brothers is interesting. I'll tell you, as a parent, I think the parents are probably most glad that each brother has a, a Super Bowl already because, you know, that would be really hard if one brother had a Super Bowl and the other didn't. You'd almost have to vote for the one that didn't. But, you know, having them equally, uh, you know, awarded I think it makes it a little bit easier but I I think the the, the players want to fight for each other and is they love coach Reed so I I can certainly see a handful of these guys especially the guys that have been around been around to watch how hard coach Reed works how much it means to him yeah I think that they'd not only like to get him a, a second trophy they'd like to get it against his former team I think that'd be a big deal
2: Dan, there are so many different ways that this game can go on Sunday. Uh, of course, we kind of transition out of the the storylines and the narratives and into the actual gameplay itself. Uh, and, you know, I think everybody has an opinion on the best way for each team to get to victory. And one of the things that I've been more focused on uh, over the last, I don't know, few days or so thinking about this game is really having Kansas City have the opportunity to to establish the run game better than they did in the AFC Championship game, kind of like what they did in the divisional round against the Jags with Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon. I know Clyde edwards Lair has been activated. I don't know what his role will necessarily be in this game, Uh, but regardless, Philly's run defense is about middle of the road in the NFL this season. Uh, It's better than it was at the start of the season, but I really feel like if the Chiefs can get that momentum going, establish that run game, and especially with some of the injuries that we've seen from the wide receivers, that getting a good game from the running backs, that's got to be paramount, at least in my opinion. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I I think they tried against the Bengals. That front of the, the Cincinnati Bengals was really good at stopping the run. I was shocked at how prepared they were to stop the run. When you've got a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if they came to KC just thinking, look, Mahomes is gimpy. He's going to be on an ankle. He's not going to do a lot. So let's be ready for the run or what, but they certainly couldn't get anything going. Now. I think Pacheco had some yards receiving, but I think he had one yard or something like that. in on the ground, it was, it was really low. And maybe that was the game before, but the, they have got to establish the run especially when you've got guys like Jerick McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco who are capable of at least combining for 100 yards and i think you know the one of the keys to success for the last half of the season has been those guys and has been the ability to kind of control and manage the clock through the run game so certainly think that's a big deal i think you're right i think they have a better chance of establishing establishing that against philadelphia than they were than they had against the AFC who is very difficult and very good at it, at defending it so I'd like to see him come out and you know right away kind of establish that I, I don't know if I would expect that because you know Danon Hughes always says the Chiefs run they pass the football to establish the run game instead of vice versa right I always think that's it's a hard concept to grasp but he's right they they kind of establish the run game by getting you to back off and and force you to defend the pass and so will they do that in the super bowl probably because that's kind of their mo but i think eventually maybe by the middle of the second quarter you'll start to see the run game kind of come to light and and they'll push it more and that first down is just so important right first down dictates everything in football and When you can rush for five yards on first down like McKinnon and like Isaiah Pacheco were doing, it makes a heck of a difference. So,
1: Dan, we get just a little bit of injury update yesterday. McCole Hardman not going to be there expected. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire actually activated. That was the news yesterday. So as we move forward, um, do we have any gut feel, insight to anything as it regards to Kadarius Toney? Uh, Sneed and Willie Gay, defensively, those three guys to me feel like the critical guys. Are, are they trending in the right direction, do you think, or do we have any idea yet?
0: Yes, they're trending in the right direction. I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking about this or not, but I'm going to. So yesterday uh, was a good day practice. By all accounts, everybody that was at practice talked about Mahomes just dropping dimes left and right. and Like he is ready to play Today, uh, last night was opening night, and at the opening night ceremony, I talked to several players. I talked to team doctors. They're all really happy with the progress that the team is making. Kadarius looked good. Uh, uh, Juju looked good. I, I spent some time a little bit with Juju, and I, I couldn't even tell he was injured. So, I think that I think everybody's trending in the right direction, with the exception of McColl. And now that's kind of irrelevant, right? So. Uh, good news for Chiefs because I think the one thing you want to do, you want to play these games with full-strength teams. You want to play against a full-strength team, and you want to be at full-strength. The last thing you want to do is limp into the playoffs. And so uh, really happy to hear that news. Of course, it's early. We've got a couple more days, but we'll see how that unfolds. But as we stand today, uh, it looks good.
2: Dan, from a defensive point of view, what's the best way to limit Jalen Hurts? Um, you know, of course he can beat teams with his legs all day long. Uh, but I definitely think that from a passing perspective, um, when he's on the run, when he's improvising, and then with the talented receivers that he's got in AJ Brown and Devonte Smith, uh, he's been able to make things happen with them while he's on the run. So would you suggest the best way to combat what Jalen Hurts can do is to try to keep him contained in the pocket? Or what do you think the best strategy to victory from a defensive perspective is?
0: yeah i think the the general concept is you know to to kind of set the edge, not let him bust it out. Hertz is only about six foot maybe one he's not a he's not a terribly tall quarterback he is dangerous he's got good eyes and he's throwing to Smith and Brown who are incredible receivers but again not very tall i i think they're probably both about that same size so you're you're not talking about guys like Mike Evans, who can climb a ladder and just take it away from you, if he if if he throws, if the quarterback throws the ball in his direction, he's going to get it. Uh, so I, I think one of the things, you know, if you can keep him in the pocket, and Chris Jones is going to be a key factor here because of that wingspan, his ability to pressure through the middle of the, the line, you know, to kind of cave in that pocket from the center, that forces Hurts to to not have a a passing lane to throw in now he's he's making decisions and and you're delaying the routes and i really think a key is going to be setting that edge keeping him in the pocket and then caving the pocket in from the middle uh that'll limit somewhat what smith and brown can can do against you i think it's important you know when you're playing these kinds of teams hurts smith and brown are going to make plays just like joe burrow and Jamar Chase, they're going to make plays. You just have to limit how many times they can do that.
1: Uh, all right, Dan. Let's let's talk about all the fanfare. When you've been to this now uh, 3 times at least, what's your favorite part of all this? Uh executive oh, producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. You get, you know, to be around a lot of it. What do you like the most about this
0: week? That's an outstanding question. I um I'll tell you it starts from the time the team charter lands I remember in Miami very vividly uh, I had worked m- multiple Super Bowls before for Westwood One and CBS and NBC and but never worked it as a team and so Miami in 2019 the team charter lands and I've flown probably what in the neighborhood of 400 500 charters in my career and suddenly something was very different we didn't just pull the jet steps up to the plane. They hooked up a tow and they pushed us into a hangar. And I thought, "Well, this is really weird. What is going on? And then we walked off the plane. It was like the president of the United States walking off the Air Force One. It was just incredible. And that's where it starts. That's when you land in the city that the Super Bowl is going to be played in. Opening night is, uh, I think, really fun. It's an event where – all of the players are out mingling around with probably near a 1,000 media members. I cannot imagine these guys. There's 10 podiums set up. So there's 10, people, 10 players selected to be in the podiums. And then there's just everyone else. All the remaining 43 active players are mingling around the floor of this arena. It was in Footprint Arena, which is uh, where the uh, basketball team plays here in Phoenix. And you're getting asked, Hey, what's your favorite color? You must get asked, what's your favorite color? Uh, 10, 12 times, it's crazy. It's the same questions over and over again. But watching them enjoy the spectacle is really unique, and I, and I think that's uh, so cool. I would also say that I love the access that we get. The, the league forces the teams to provide players, so you're getting access to, to the guys like Mahomes and Kelsey an abnormal amount that we might not get in a normal week. I think that's a great part. But I, I don't think anything will ever compare to watching the confetti fall at the end of a victory. I, I think that one of the things that 2020 taught that locker room, in particular guys like Mahomes and Kelsey, Frank Clark, is you can lose this game. You've got to be ready, and you've got to be prepared. And I think that's why they were working so hard at practice. They practice at Arizona State University. The Eagles, of course, because the NFC is the home team, they get to practice at the Cardinals practice facility, and the Chiefs practice at ASU. But they're practicing at an intensity that is kind of unequaled, and I think that that comes from the loss in 2020. So watching the confetti fall, Holding the Lombardi trophy and going back to the super going back to the hotel for the Super Bowl party. nothing compares to those events. Uh, I hope we get to enjoy those again.
1: Yeah, it uh, we, we, we are getting so close, so close. Um, all right. Dan, enjoy it. Uh, I know you guys have a ton of stuff coming up and you know it gets tricky and the logistics are a mess and and you know, we're looking forward to all the coverage and and hopefully you get to see that confetti falling again as the Chiefs and Eagles will play Sunday night. Um we appreciate these visits and you know let's let's do it again in the aftermath and get a recap and, and all of that stuff and a look ahead to the off season as we make our way through it.
0: I love that plan. Go Chiefs.
1: There goes Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. He's joined us all year long right here on Sports Daily. We really appreciate that. One more to go for the Chiefs. When we come back, we'll get back to college basketball. K-State trying to follow KU with a big necessary win. We'll talk about that game against TCU tonight coming up next on Sports Daily. Welcome back to Sports Daily, everybody. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor with you here on this Tuesday. Tommy, KU handled business last night. K-State up tonight. What do you think is going through K-State's head right now as they welcome in TCU a team that got them pretty good down in Fort Worth?
2: Well, I think the first thought is they're probably thanking Kansas a little bit for beating Texas and having the Longhorns come back to the pack a little bit uh, after last night because the the Longhorns could have easily opened up a a big-time lead in the Big 12 race, and now Kansas State feels like, you know, hey, if they can beat up a a banged-up TCU team at home tonight, then they're just a game back in the Big 12 standings. So uh, I think that they view this as an opportunity uh, to be able to get a little bit of a revenge against a team that handed them what their first Big 12 loss of the season uh, in Fort Worth so they've got an opportunity here to kind of get revenge and also keep pace in the Big 12.
1: And, and you know, they've also got that pesky losing streak in the conference right now, and and they've got to overcome that to some degree. Um, I, I Again, the line this morning, four and a half points on BetMGM, I really like that because I think TCU is hobbled. I think K-State's got revenge on the mind, and I do think, and t- look, TCU feels desperation right now too. Let's not sugarcoat that, right? Like, they're in the same boat as far as desperation, but they're also banged up. And I don't know how healthy they are, and we'll have to watch that going into the game. But TCU now with four losses is right there with K-State with four losses. Uh, Kansas helped everybody out last night. Texas now has three losses as well. But both of these teams, Tommy, if they want to win the Big 12, right? Again, this doesn't necessarily – matter too much I don't think in the NCAA tournament but for the Big 12 it does and you know maybe there's wiggle room created now by Texas losing last night there probably is but it's easy to put that up on the bulletin board of hey if you want to win the Big 12 we got to have this one tonight for K-State it's amplified even more because they're at home because TCU's hobbled and they have lost consecutive now three times conference basketball games. And so with all of that being said, and the fact that they should have beat Texas, right? Because they should have, I, I, I like this spot for K-State tonight.
2: I think the interesting thing for TCU is going to be whether or not Mike Miles can go. Um, he has not played since he hyperextended his knee against uh, Mississippi State in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Uh, he hasn't played since that time. Uh, and there was a little bit of speculation that he might have been able to suit up earlier this week or last week, I guess, in their in their last game. That didn't happen. Uh, so I'm going to be keeping an eye on that because, of course, he is TCU's leading scorer. Also, Eddie Lampkin has been out for a while, too, for the Horned Frog. So to your point, they are banged up. Uh, it's going to be a question about whether or not either one of these two guys can play and if they can play, how effective they will be. So. Um, if I'm Jerome Tang, if I'm the the Wildcats, I'm kind of licking my chops a little bit here because, uh, you're getting TCU who is a very dangerous team and the Wildcats know that better than anybody. They're a very dangerous team, but you're getting them when they're hobbled. And so it, it can be a turning point a little bit for the Wildcats, um, I don't know how many more times we can say must win uh, or how many more times we can say gut check time for Kansas State. But they do have that conference losing streak, and this is a great opportunity at home to be able to turn that around.
1: So sometimes I feel guilty when we say that stuff because I don't just say it to say it. I almost never I, – I mean, I, I would say never, but maybe I have. But I never intend to, like, overhype things because whatever – Like I genuinely, when we say something feels like a must win to me, it feels like a must win. And this one feels that way. And I was really glad Jay Billis on the TV call last night said the same thing. He said, how many times when we watch these big 12 games, does it feel like these teams have to win these games if they want to stay and it's night in and night out in the league, but it is, I mean, it is the case. We're not the only ones that feel that way. And and it's because there's no clear separation right now. So, I mean, even Oklahoma State at five and five as they're beginning to play much better is creeping back into the conversation, right? Like it, it is, there are a lot of teams still in the mix. And all that tells us is there are a lot of teams that have the opportunity to go win it. So you got to win them, right? You got to win them if you want to win the Big 12. Now it's two very different things. Winning the Big 12, and being where you need to be come tournament time, I do think are different things, and they they're not they're not like running hand in hand. I easily could see a team that does not win the Big Twelve being the team that has the most success in the NCAA tournament, right? Like so, it's not like we're saying K State needs to win this game tonight to do something in the tournament. No, they need to win this game tonight when we're talking about their opportunities to win the Big Twelve.
2: On top of that. They need to win tonight to stem that tide of the losing streak because when that gets out of hand, and I'm not suggesting this will happen to the Wildcats, but when a losing streak like that gets out of hand, uh, there are some teams that will fold under that pressure. I don't think that this Wildcats team is that team where that will happen, uh, but take a look at Texas Tech, for example. Texas uh, Texas Tech had high expectations going into this year, and a losing streak in conference play got the best of them. And their season is effectively done uh, at this point. So uh, I think that can be a little bit of a cautionary tale uh, about what can happen when a losing streak gets out of hand. But, you know, I was watching the the big Monday game last night and they had Joe Lenardi on during halftime uh, talking about bracketology and all of that. And and we've known this for a while. We've known how difficult the conference is. But, you know, nine out of the 10 teams, you take Texas Tech out of the picture are being considered right now for the NCAA tournament. Even a team like Oklahoma, who has underperformed, they're on the bubble right now as the ninth team. And my first thought was, "Wow, the, the Jayhawks go to Norman this weekend to play Oklahoma, uh, and the, the Sooners are going to be very desperate." Jay Bill has said it on the broadcast last night. There is no bottom to this conference. Uh, all the team, all ten teams, are in the top seventy in the NETS. Uh, which is crazy and unheard of. Uh, so you can you have to take advantage of the opportunities when you get them. And I don't know if there is going to be much of a better uh, any better of an opportunity than tonight than for Kansas State to play at home against a really beat up TCU team.
1: Yeah, I don't think there is either. Um, I mean, other than other than just taking their shots at other you know, big time opponents, you, you still have Iowa state, right? There's a chance for revenge against Iowa state still on the schedule, but you know, they're not hobbled, uh, is, is what you're talking about here. Um, you know, they, that's, that's the biggest one looming still, and they still have a game against Baylor, but the reality for here, here's what we haven't talked about for Kansas state, Tommy, of all the teams left, I would imagine that there isn't a team with a more advantageous schedule the rest of the way. And, you know, they played a lot of their big-time games already. They've played Texas twice. They've played Kansas twice. They're getting TCU for the second time while TCU's still hobbled. So when you look at the remaining schedule for Kansas State, and we know everybody's good in the Big 12, but hobbled TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma twice, right? Iowa State but at home And Oklahoma State, like that's as advantageous a schedule as any team in the Big 12 will have down the stretch because they still have a collection of very winnable games. So you get hobbled TCU, two against Oklahoma, one against uh, Texas Tech, one against West Virginia. You're playing a lot of the bottom half the rest of the way, and that's something Kansas State needs to take advantage of too. If they're really one of the top teams, then beat the bottom teams.
2: Yeah, you're not you're not uh, wrong on that, but I I will go back to what I said before. Really, the bottom half of the Big Twelve is still incredibly dangerous, totally. right? Of course. It so is. It, it, we're not talking about cupcakes here. You know, the rest of the way for any team in, in the Big Twelve, and that's that's what makes it must see TV every single game uh, for basically any opponent. Like for instance, you've got Iowa State tomorrow night. They're a half game behind Texas. They're on the road in Morgantown. And if you just looked at what West Virginia does, has done with their record, and you just look at that, you don't know anything about West Virginia. You would say, "Ah, that team's not very good. No, they are. And especially inside Morgantown, they're, they're good. And you've got the Cyclones on the road. And with the win from Iowa State, they tie Texas in the Big 12 standings for first place. But with the loss, they fall back a game. And West Virginia is a team that is a, a tournament team. And, and they can easily, I don't want to say easily, but they, I don't think it's out of the question that they beat Iowa State on their home court tomorrow night. So that's what makes it so intriguing night in and night out. So we can go through and we can break down every single team's remaining schedule. And while records are going to be different and while you can say, well, they're playing their you know, remaining games against the bottom half, Okay, well, all the metrics are, are telling you that all these teams are very, very similar as far as their net rankings and kinpom and all of that. It's an incredibly even league.
1: It, it is. It's it's awesome. Um, it is. But there, I, I do think that there is separation and there is a difference between the top half and the bottom half. And where you play those games does matter. But I think playing... Oklahoma or West Virginia or Texas Tech right now is different than playing, you know, Kansas, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas, a healthy TCU, which they're not right now. But I do think there's a difference there. Not much, right? Like you can't count on wins by any means. Like when Wichita State plays Tulsa, you can count on that win, right? Like yeah. you, that there. those yep. kinds of games don't really exist in the Big right. 12.
2: Back in the day, I remember the first few years when TCU joined the conference and they were a doormat, and you knew that you could – I mean, they were playing in basically a high school gym, uh, and you could go in and you were pretty much guaranteed a victory for the most part for any Big 12 team playing them. Or even going further back when you had teams like Nebraska and Colorado, and you know th- they were in the Big 12, and they weren't very good, and you kind of knew that you could get a victory against them. Uh, that's not the way that this conference operates anymore. Even a Texas Tech team that has really struggled in conference play and they only have one conference win, uh, You know, they, they've had a couple of injuries. They've had some key guys that are out. Uh, but they're talented. And, and the all the, the metrics would tell you that they are, and every team is. Um, so there's no such thing as a cakewalk, uh, especially down the stretch when you've got, I mean, still six teams. I mean, I guess you can include... Like, I would include Oklahoma State, too, at five and five. You've got seven teams that still could potentially win the Big 12, or at least a share of the Big 12. Um, it's a bloodbath every single game.
1: It is, um, and it's going to be. And tonight, we suspect that it will be again. Even if TCU's hobbled, they're going to bring it. They're still good. Uh, but, yeah, I think we both feel the I mean, same way. It's By game, the way, case,
2: Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma State, tomorrow night, has Texas Tech at home if they win, they're six and five in conference play. they are two games behind Texas. I, I mean, and we yeah. weren't even talking about Oklahoma state. I mean, you've got all these teams now that, that can lay claim to at least to share of the big 12.
1: And you know, that's, that's a desperation game, obviously for tech, but in a way for Oklahoma state too, in the way that they defend, they are going to have a chance to win a lot of games. Um, so, it's great. It just the it's the conference that just keeps on giving. I love the fact that we get Wichita State, KU, and and K State games staggered again this week. I love when they're all on different nights. You get K State tonight, Wichita State tomorrow night, because it just gives you like you don't have to you don't have to juggle it or try to battle it or find you don't have to spend you know six hours with it if you've got them on back to backs. That's the best way to have it. K State plays at eight o'clock tonight, and we'll be here tomorrow to talk all about it. Let's take a quick break. 869 1240 is the number to call. Sean Payton in Denver, officially. What does he have to say about Russell Wilson? We'll talk about that next on Sports Daily. All right, Tommy, welcome back into Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, Jad Chambers producing for us. 869-1240 is the number to call. Um, Sean Payton, as we get ready for the Super Bowl, introduced in Denver. It's a curious match, as we talked about at length last week, but he's there now, and he's got Russell Wilson. And if it's gonna work, if Denver's gamble is gonna pay off, he's gonna have to get the best out of Russell Wilson. That's literally the only path, at least in the in the short term. Naturally, yesterday, Sean Payton asked a lot about Russell Wilson. When asked about, you know, coaches and other trainers that aren't, you know, affiliated with the team staff, Sean Payton said, quote, I'm not too familiar with that. That's foreign to me. That's not going to take place. Our staff will be here. Our players will be here. And that will be it. Okay. Um, I, I think, I do think that Sean Payton can bring that level of authority to this position. So, okay, that's probably a good thing for the relationship between Russell Wilson and the rest of the players in that roster. Here's the other interesting one, though. And we've talked about this. Russell Wilson was not placed in the type of situation that he had a lot of success with over his career. He was being asked to do different things. Sean Payton asked about being married to a particular system and trying to fit Russell Wilson into that, right? Because we remember with Drew Brees, you know, quick passes, Uh, spread the ball around, whatever. It's not what Russell Wilson does. Russell Wilson makes plays by keeping plays alive and taking big shots. Here's what Sean Payton said, Tommy. Quote, none of us want to be at a karaoke bar with a song we don't know the words to. That's what you got to (laughs) hear. What? No, I I like it. He's basically saying... I don't get it. Well, he's saying, like, why would we ask Russell Wilson to do something he's not good at, right? Why would you want to go to it why would you want to go to a karaoke bar and try to sing a song you don't know? Would, I'm really want to si-
2: karaoke, so that reference YM2, just went right but over my you've,
1: head. Yeah, but you've got, so- you've got your go-to songs. See, that's Truth. the thing. You're good at what you're good at. And I think that's what Sean Payton's saying here. I like the analogy because I think it's very true. I think Hackett was trying to get Russell Wilson to fit into Hackett's system. He was trying to get Russell Wilson to you know, fit into what he'd done in Green Bay or or Jacksonville forever. It's not what Russell Wilson does. If Russell Wilson's going to succeed, you have to put Russell Wilson in a similar situation to what he's succeeded in in the past. And it sounds like Sean Payton's not coming to Denver saying, I'm going to have Russell Wilson run the same offense I had Drew Brees run, right? Because that's not going to work. He's saying, I'm going to find the personnel in the scheme to fit what Russell Wilson does And if you're a Broncos fan, you have to be just screaming with joy at that because if Russell Wilson's going to work, it's got to be the old Russell Wilson. Run around, get your receivers time to get wide open and throw the ball downfield because he still does that well. Okay, that's a first check in the right column for Sean Payton to me.
2: The only way this is going to work long-term with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, there's got to be some give and take here. And it sounds like, That's kind of what Sean Payton is alluding to. Uh, I think that he can give on some of the, the things as far as like the scheme and the system that he plays in. And Sean Payton has been around long enough and is a good enough coach to know that if he wants to get the best out of Russell Wilson, that he's got to put Russell in the best position to succeed. And I don't think that that is just a Russell Wilson thing. I think that's a lot of quarterbacks are in that same sort of world where if they're in the right system, they will have quite a bit more success than if they were in the wrong system that kind of seems to be uh, a given but also I think that Sean Payton has to have the authority to be able to say things like Russell your personal quarterback coach is out of here the team that you've got around you out of here the parking spot that you get at the facility gone the the ways that you know you have you know kind of been different than your teammates we can't have that anymore i will put you in the best System possible for you, and we will make sure that the plays that we're calling and the things that we're doing are going to give you the best chance of success and trying to recapture what you did in Seattle. But those other areas that you've been given leeway on, as far as having your people in the building and kind of operating separate from the team. We can't have that anymore. So it sounds like they're at least what Sean Payton wants to do is have some give and take where he's able to get the best out of Russell Wilson, but still have the authority to say we are going to do things my way as far as you're not going to be separate from everybody else.
1: Yeah, it it, it, totally and and that both of those things have to happen. And I think both of those things Sean Payton answered the right way. Like, no, we're, you know, we're coming in. This is the way it's going to do. At the same time, yeah, we're going to put you in a situation that you've succeeded in in the past because that's the only way this works. And I'm very curious about that because the one thing I'll say about the Sean Payton hire, and maybe this is a credit to the hire for the ownership, if there is anybody who's going to get the best out of Russell Wilson, it's going to be somebody like Sean Payton. And so maybe that's as much a part of the hire as anything else is knowing you're stuck with it and just doing anything you can out of desperation to see if the Russell Wilson thing
2: works. I'll believe it. When I see it, I'm still, I'm not saying I think it's going to happen. And I think, I think that the Broncos, I mean, we all know they've given up a ton. I mean, they are pot committed to both of these guys and they're going to see if they can make it work for better or for worse. I'll believe it when I see it, but I did like his opening comments.
1: Yeah, I, I did too. I did too. All right. Uh, 869-1240 will tell you what's on tap when we return to wrap up Sports Daily.